You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Thank you for joining us. This is the NASM CPT Podcast and our Facebook Live webcasts that are running in tandem. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of it and for joining us. And we've had some wonderful support throughout the last, I guess, several weeks, probably a couple months at this point with the, the webcast and then taking that audio and repurposing it with our podcast. And we've had some wonderful guests and those guests have included researchers and practitioners and business owners uh, and business coaches. So speaking of next week, we will have Rachel Co- uh, Cosgrove is going to be joining us. So I'm excited about that and come in really handy for all of you fitness and business entrepreneurs as one of the owners of Results You and, uh, and help us all to try to get back on our feet post COVID. But for now, I have a very special guest, a, a guest that I have to explain maybe a little bit about. One is um, I, I really got a chance to meet him because I, I picked up his presenter packet one day <laughs> at Idea World. And um, when I got it, I realized that I don't know any of this information and I am not teaching nearly this many courses. And I realized that it was my cousin, Brian Ritchie, who was there. And uh, we got a chance to really get to know each other and hang out together and enjoy being educators and presenters at fitness conferences, sharing the last name, sharing the the stage and presenting on exercise. And so with that being said, I want to do, uh, I want to have Brian say hello, introduce himself, tell us a little bit about you, man. Dude, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're on this. Thanks. It's great to see you too. I can't tell you how many times I would check into a hotel at some of these presenters and immediately you're, you do a lot of the pre-con stuff. So what I've noticed is they always say, well, you've already checked in. And I say, uh, yeah, no, I'm standing here, here are my bags. And they say, no, it says right here, Rick Rich. And I said, no, I'm Brian Richie. Oh, let me see if we have you. I'm like, please have me, please have my hotel room, please. Uh, yeah, my name is Brian Ritchie. Uh, I'm a medical exercise specialist, which means that I specialize in managing people's medical conditions through exercise. Uh, Unlike a physical therapist who can do a whole lot more than we can do, all we can really do is the exercise aspect of it. But there's so much that we can do with exercise. Let's face it. I've had a number of physical therapists even tell me, look, you guys are the exercise experts. We're not. PTs know a whole lot about exercise, but we really have the lion's share. We know 10 times more than they do because they get to focus on other things. We just focus on the exercise and that's fabulous. We love that aspect of it. Uh, I'm the owner operator of Fit for Life DC, which is a medical exercise studio here in Washington, DC. Uh, 90 to 95% of the people that walk through my door have some sort of medical condition, whether it be neurologic, metabolic, or uh, orthopedic. And I'd say 80 plus percent uh, come from the orthopedic variety. So we see a lot of knees and hips and backs and shoulders and whatnot. So I've been teaching all over the world for the last probably 10 years or so about medical exercise and about helping people manage those conditions and helping personal trainers help their own clients. Because I'm sure you're in the field like I am. You do a lot of corrective exercise and that's what you're known for. And I can't tell you how many times I keep hearing people you know, say, 
you know, I have a disc herniation. Oh, I can handle that. Where trainers will say, I can do that. I can do that. And look, when we first start out, we're hungry for the money. We don't want to turn anybody away, right. you know? And I feel it's the same sort of thing that we get caught up in that aspect. And my thing is stay in your lane, you know? And if I can help you as a personal trainer, help your clients, then I've done my job. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I want to get, let's talk just from your perspective as a medical fitness professional, what is the difference between medical fitness and medical exercise and corrective exercise? What does that look like to you from your perspective? From my perspective, a lot of corrective exercise. First of all, I joke about this all the time when I speak in class. I say all exercise is corrective because in truth, we're all trying to create. <laughs> I like that. Trying to, you know, I have weight to lose. I want to gain muscle. I want to do this. I want to create a change in my body. So I have something to correct. And so for me, it's okay. We're going to take a look, especially in corrective exercise at muscular imbalances. That's something that's huge. Now, could those muscular imbalances be causing pain? Absolutely, 100%. But when we're talking about medical exercise, we're going to be talking about specific medical conditions. So when you have someone who has, let's say, spondylolisthesis or stenosis or uh, disc herniation or something like that, they have something that's very specific to their body that's not going to fall under the generalized low back pain category, which tells me, okay, for that person, they have certain parameters in exercise that we need to stick with. There are certain contraindications for every single injury out there. And if I don't abide by those, I can actually hurt this person. Uh, I actually had a staff member who thought she knew more than she did. She's no longer with me at the moment. Uh, but at the time, she thought she knew more than she did. And we had a client come in with spondylolisthesis. And I said, oh, okay, here's a person with spondylolisthesis you know, make sure you do this, this, and this. And one of the things is Nova back extension. You have to limit their extension. They need to be in a more of a posterior tilt throughout. So I said, make sure you don't do any post any back extension. Well, the, one of the first days she worked with this person, she had her doing back extension exercises. <clears throat> Blew out her back completely, sent her back to the hospital. Uh, it was a horrific situation. And it's those kind of situations that I keep hearing about from other fitness professionals that they're injuring their people because they really don't know what they're doing. And a lot of people will say, well, every single person I worked with. I think we've got a frozen Brian Richie right now. Pardon? Brian, are you back with us? There, you froze for a moment. So okay, sorry. So let's pick back up where you were talking about um, the, the back extension. She went to the hospital. It was bad. And that you're yeah. seeing this uh, and pick up there if you don't mind. Yeah. So I'm seeing this when I when I even go to the gym I go to by my house. Uh, I can't help it. I overhear conversations and I'm hearing trainers talk. And they always say, this. you know, I have 100% success rate. I'm like, is that? Truth or did the person just not come back because they were hurt? Because I've also heard people talk about that in the locker room saying, oh, yeah, I worked with so-and-so, but man, really hurt my shoulder really bad. You know, so I haven't seen him since. I'm like, yeah. but if 
you don't tell the trainer that because you're friends and you don't want to hurt their feelings or whatnot, you don't have a 100% success rate. So for me, when we talk about medical conditions, I really want to make sure that people understand that, first of all, do no further harm. We want to make sure that we stick with their contraindications and that we're not going beyond our scope of practice. And that's huge in our industry right now. Um, yeah. uh, let me let me just run this by you. So we have um, we have a uh, another organization uh, called the American College of Sports Medicine, and yes. they have probably my favorite tagline that says "Exercise is medicine," and uh, I, and I love that. I think it's wonderful. Um, to, to look at exercise as, as medicine, but a lot of times when we see this and we know that there are, there are chronic pathologies that can be mitigated and augmented and in some cases eradicated when people who are not fit become fit and it is harder for fitter people to experience some of these things. So, uh, and that includes heart disease and stroke, some cancers, certainly diabetes. Um, you know, there, there are many parts of this medical component. I was speaking with Lisa Doherty yesterday from the MedFit Network, which, which uh, I think you've been connected with. So, um, and, and I was discussing it with her and, and the list goes on from, from ALS to, to MS and to all of these chronic pathologies that people have. And exercise is a medicine that helps to support people with that. And so I, I love that as a tagline. Um, but I've also heard trainers sometimes flippantly say things like, the reason something hurts is because they're not strong enough or because they're not stable enough. And this is just generalizing conversation and, and, and it's zero assessment, it's just their opinion, and it is a blanketed opinion that if somebody is weak or in pain, then, then it's because they're not strong enough and they need, I've heard this multiple times, they need to work on their deadlifts. Um, and then sometimes it is, they're not stable enough. And it's amazing how, you, you know, there's, we come up with these ideas and we tell, the, we tell ourselves, this is the answer before I know what the real questions are. And um, we, you're familiar with something called the Dunning-Kruger effect, where it is when people who are beginners think that they know more than what they know. And they're, uh, the graph is pretty interesting. It starts people up really high in their education and, and their opinion of themselves. So that's why when you first open a business and you hear about marketing and everything they say, you're like, that's so simple. Your job's so easy. I can do that. And the more you learn about it, the more you see that drop off and realize how much you don't know. And then we, it starts to, to tick back up as you get more and more education. Um, you have to know something to know that you don't know it. And there are a lot of people out there that just don't know that they don't know what they're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to joke with people when I was in my 20s, I knew everything. In my 30s, I realized I don't know everything. In my 40s, I realized I don't know anything. Yeah, I'm yeah. still learning. You know, and I'm, I'm figuring by the time I'm 60, I'm going to be like in kindergarten again, learning everything all over again. We're constantly learning. And... I get a lot of people, I'm sure you do the same, 
we get a lot of people that come to our classes and they come up to me afterwards and say, I want to do what you do. I want to teach. And my first thing to them is, great. What do you have to say? What is your experience level? You know, what do you have to say that's different than everybody else? And, you know, most of these people are in their 20s and they feel like I have so much knowledge. Okay, but you need more experience sometimes. And I agree with you. I do hear that all the time. Oh, you're not strong enough. Your muscles aren't strong enough and stable enough, which is great. If stability is something that they need, great. Work on their stability. No problem. But in general, when you do a mass generalization like that to just everybody a blanket statement, you're really doing yourself and us a disservice because, like you said, there's no assessment. You're not taking a look at them. Uh, Something that I feel is very important, and I speak about this in all my classes, is every single person that comes through my door, they go through an assessment process that first session, and it could take an hour, hour and a half, whatever it takes, it takes. And I want to do their whole medical history. I want to know everything that happened. You sprained your ankle when you were 14. Great. You know, I want everything. Because what I see with your body and movement today is probably because of all of those things that happened in the past. So I need to know and have the biggest picture possible. Then we do movement and I watch their body move and I can see different patterns. I can see where weaknesses are. I can see where imbalances are. And then that can speak with their medical condition and we can, I can say, okay, I have a better picture of you. Now let's do these exercises. Now let's create something that's been bothering me in the last probably three to five years is the big push on mobility. I can't tell you how many people, and I think mobility is incredibly important. We need it. However, what I'm seeing is too many people are focusing only on the mobility aspect and now leaving aside stability. And they're having people who are way too hypermobile. And if you've ever worked with a dancer, you're in New York, you've worked with dancers. You work with a hypermobility issue. That's a huge issue. Huge issue. So now we have these athletes coming in who are working on nothing but mobility exercises and they're not stable at all. I've had professional athletes here on my table and I have them do the simplest exercises and they can't do it because they have no stability. And it's like, okay, we have to create that. And it may take us a week, it may take us a month, but once we create it, it's great. And then they say, I'm so much stronger now. Well, good. Now we work from the inside out. Right. And isn't that interesting too? Because I think. Well, probably one of the more fascinating things is that you get these really strong athletes on the table and you do your work with them and you focus on stability and you don't focus on strength or power or force output or anything like that. And then you run through a stability program and then suddenly they're stronger in every other way. And it's pretty remarkable to, to see it and to experience that firsthand. But when you get somebody that is unstable, then you kind of have the central nervous system down regulating that information, that feed to the other muscles around it. I am not going to allow the deltoids to work as much as they need to, to go overhead press if the shoulder is unstable. And Mm -hmm. it's gonna turn down and down regulate that activation in those muscles all around the shoulder and the shoulder girdle. And so 
all you're doing through stability is giving them access to strength that they already own. They may already have the strength in their shoulders and their triceps to press overhead. They just can't access it. Something that I've realized over the years, uh, I don't know about your age. I'm not going to ask your age. I'm 49. The older I get and the more I've seen with clients, certain muscles atrophy naturally just through age. Age and disuse, certain muscles automatically atrophy and they get weaker. And what I find is a lot of those are the stabilizing muscles. So that we become progressively weaker and weaker and weaker, even though we seem to be strong, but we're not. Like you said, our central nervous system isn't supporting our system. So we're not strong. We're not maintaining that stability. So our joints aren't working the way they're supposed to. They're not working with proper joint congruity. So they're not going to support what we need. When we're young, we have all that support. And it comes naturally. How many athletes in their 20s do we really have to work on stability? A lot of them come naturally. We have to do a little bit, but it's not the same as a 45-year-old athlete where we have to really focus now on a lot more stability in order to get them stronger again. And I get that. I get the athlete who's been you know, on the injured reserve for a couple of seasons or whatnot, and they say, I just can't seem to get back to where I was. And I say, well, it's because you're still training like you're 25. You're not 25 anymore. Now we need to train you a little bit differently and focus more on other things. And suddenly we're focusing more on longevity and training for life. And now they're feeling better. They are stable. They are mobile in the right ways. And oh my gosh, their body's moving properly. Um, let's, let's shift it back. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, medical fitness and, mm-hmm. and what that looks like, because I think in many instances, our community through our corrective exercise program, and even through our, our regular, um, certified personal trainer program, where we go through assessments and some of the postural things that go on and what are some of the, the short, tight, overactive muscle, underactive muscle stabilization. Uh, and then we progress them through our model, but the, the the populations, the special populations, our, our, our medical populations, we tend to work with people when we get them. And like you said early on, you don't want to turn anybody away. You want, you want the work. You want the money. I, I early on definitely turned some people away because I was just so scared. I was like, I just don't know what on earth to do with this person. Um, and then at some point as I trained more, I got more comfortable, but I didn't necessarily get more educated Uh, early on and what things were for folks with heart disease or with diabetes or who have had a stroke or, and and I'd probably keep it more towards heart disease and diabetes simply because uh, we, we are now talking about more than half probably of the American population. So what are some of the things, and, and you can break them down and touch on them individually, whether it's heart disease or diabetes, um, but, but what are some of the things that are relevant to you as a, a medical exercise specialist when it comes to those populations, just so our community gets an insight into what it is that you do and then how you work with those people? And then with that being said, is there any direction um, that, that we can learn a little bit more about some of these populations and, and how to support them? Sure. 
when I was first learning this, I was actually told two populations you want to, if you specialize in these two populations, you're going to make money and have a line out the door, hypertension and diabetes. Those are two big ones. And it scares everybody. Hypertension scares the pants off of a lot of people. And it's because, well, let's face it, you can kill them. Okay. If, you, if you're not monitoring that, you could actually cause a whole lot more harm than good. In fact, I had one client who came into me and I talked with him. He was so gung-ho. He was probably in his late 70s. So gung-ho and ready to exercise. I was like, yes, all right. I called, talked to his doctor and his doctor said, don't you do anything with him. <laughs> and uh, this is on the phone. He's yelling at me. And I said, oh, okay, okay. I said, well, explain to me what's going on. And he said, okay. He has the most unstable blood pressure of anyone I've ever met. And I said, what do you mean? He said, measure it over the course of 10 minutes and you're going to get 30 different numbers. The number is going to keep jumping up and down. And he was right. I kept a uh, cuff on him during the entire session. I had him lying down the whole session, the first one. And I, I got the permission from the doctor. I said, look, we need to focus on stability. He's got incredibly bad stenosis. He's got radiating pain down both legs. We really need to help alleviate some of that if we can through strengthening and through stability. And he agreed with that. So I said, I'm just going to have him lie down the whole session. He said, fine, perfect. His blood pressure would be 180 over 120 one minute. And then the next minute be back down to 90 over 50. And the next be, and it was jumping all over the place. There was no consistency whatsoever. And the doctor said, he is a heart attack waiting to happen. And I said, okay, let's calm this down. And we really took it super easy. Everything was on the table. Everything was done supine or prone, you know, and safe. And we monitored him the whole time. Now that's someone with incredibly unstable. Now, most people are going to be relatively stable. They've got high blood pressure. Okay. Most are going to be on some sort of medication for it. And if they're not on medication, the doctors told them they need to exercise. Our main thing is, okay, we just need to follow some guidelines. We need to make sure that they're not over a certain number in order to strength, you know, to work. I just have them whenever they come in. I have an automatic cuff. I've got a really good one. I say, here, take it before you start. Sit in the chair for two or three, four or five minutes. Put it on, press the button. Then before you get on a piece of cardio equipment, tell me what your numbers are. And I'm on and put it down. And that way I can monitor that. And I say, if it's over, you know, let's say it's 180 over 120. I said, you're too high right now. Stay there, sit down for another five, 10 minutes, read a magazine, relax, see if it comes down. And if it doesn't, you're going home today. But for the most part, it's not going to be that high. And it's within the range. You know, it's in the safe area to train. You know, cardiovascularly, if it's below 160, if their systolic is below 160, you're, you're good to go. So a lot of times that's my sort of number that it's like, okay, you're below 160, we can start doing this. You know, if 160 over 90, you're fine. Let's go. Let's, let's train, but we're going to monitor this. And I'll monitor it various times during their session if they need to. 90% of the time, though, they come in and their blood pressure is perfectly fine to exercise. And they need to exercise. They need someone to be able to monitor them. So it's pretty simple to do. So that's someone with hi uh, hypertension. With diabetes, they just have to monitor their glucose. 
they know what's safe and what's not. And if you know anybody who's type one diabetes, they can tell you when they start getting shaky. Okay, I, I'm not diabetic, but I have reactive hypoglycemia a little bit. So occasionally I actually feel what they feel like. It, you know what you feel like when you're starting to get low. You know, you feel that. And when it occurs, I have had one gentleman who said, oh, it's happening, hang on, I gotta go measure. And it's in the middle of a session, I said, do it. He measures it, okay, he takes some glucose, he sits down, he measures it again, His, it's fine, we exercise. It's not, we can't seem to get him stable, okay, we're gonna chill out, you're done for the session. So it's really about just monitoring during the session and keeping them within their safe numbers. And the reason I'm not giving you specific numbers today is because I don't want someone to just take the information that I'm giving you and suddenly say that they're a diabetes expert or a hypertensive expert. It's something that they need to go and actually learn about. And if they want more information, I was educated through the American Academy of Health, Fitness and Rehab Professionals. Uh, That's who created the whole medical exercise specialist certification, which I am. And I... I've taught for them for years. Uh, and there's a whole series on just diabetes and hypertension. And there's a lot more to it than, you know, we're covering, you know, sort of the tips of the trees right now. But when dealing with people in these in this way, it's pretty simple to do if you know what your parameters are. If you understand, keep them within this box, you're fine. They go out of the box, you stop. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you have to be brave enough to stop. That's so it. Times we want to keep pushing people and keep pushing people, and we are not them. They know themselves better than we know them. But the problem is, when you're with a trainer, sometimes we allow trainers to push us beyond what we can do because we think we're supposed to. Exactly. Exactly. I see that constantly. Yeah. Tell you a great story. I was with a brand new client. Okay, she came in to me. She said she has a little bit of pain in her hip, overactive QL. She had an upslip. You know, one of her pelvis was up high. Okay, apparent right from the get-go. No problem. That's bread and butter to me. Okay, her first session, you know, I did the full assessment, and that was the only thing. She walks five to ten miles a day. She's a hiker, an avid. I mean, she's in amazing shape for 60s, five years of age or whatever she was. Amazing. So I said, great. Her first session, I had her do a bridge. As soon as she went into extension, she goes, ooh. And I said, what's ooh? She goes, oh, I felt this lightning bolt thing go down my leg. I said, you're done. Stop. And she goes, no, 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 I want to go on. I said, no, I'm not letting you go on. I said, that is a telltale sign that there's something more going on here. I said, and her husband's a physician. So I said, you're going to call John, and he's going to suggest for you to go to see an orthopedist that he trusts. If he doesn't know of any, I can suggest some names, but you need to go in to see somebody because I'm not touching you until I know what's going on. A week later, she had an MRI done. She had the results. She said, this says I have stenosis, a disc herniation, and spondylolisthesis. So that right there, I was like, if I had continued to work with her, could I have made things worse? Absolutely. So sometimes... Just saying no and knowing when to call it off. And I tell everybody, when in doubt, refer out. Oh, yeah. Because on the totem pole, we're not that high. You know, we're down here. We know what we do and we do it well. We do it better than anybody. Doctor can't train you the way we can. 
Nutritionists can't train you the way we can. Neither can a PT or an OT. That's our specialty. But at the same time, we can't diagnose. You know, we can't do all of those things that they can do. We can't treat. I, I remember being a, a young trainer, first couple of months of, of training and having a complimentary session, which we offered at the, the gym chain that I was working at. And, um, and the person was a physician. And I was freaking out. I was freaking out, Brian. I was like, this person, they're going to see what a charlatan I am, how I don't know anything. Oh, woe is me. And that person got there and they, they initiated with some kind of hoity-toity kind of things, you know. And, and, and they weren't trying to be, but they were just like, well, technically, blah, blah, blah. And as they started talking, I was like, you don't have a clue what we're talking about, do you? You don't know what this is or this exercise or how it affects you in this energy system. And, and it was a, it was an eye opening moment that you kind of realize that we know what we know and they know what they know and they know a lot more than we know, but it's in a totally different world. And they have an inkling and understanding. They know exercise is healthy. They know that it's good. They know that, uh, that, if more of their patients with chronic diseases maybe had started doing regular exercises early on and more often and paid attention to their diet, then it would have mitigated almost all of their business. Um, but it is, it is interesting how, how they don't know what we know necessarily and that we don't need to, to be so pensive and so timid around people that are like that. And let's be honest, Brian, even if they do know more than what we know and we bring them in, it's so funny because I think so many times people know what they should be doing anyway, or at least in some instances know what they shouldn't be doing. They're coming to us sometimes for as not as much even for education, but for accountability. Or even myself, I can't watch myself exercise call out times going, well, it's a little bit of rounding in the back there, Rick, when I was doing a lift or something. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea. And so it is not just about how smart you are. It's not. It is about your ability to coach and your ability to train. Do you still need to know what it, what it is that we're doing? Do you still need to have an education base? For sure. But we shouldn't be afraid that other people are going to know what, more than what we know. And if they do, that's a great learning opportunity. I know I've learned a lot about business from my clients that were business people. So it's been very helpful learning from them. It's like getting a masterclass for free or getting paid for it. So they're paying me, I'm training them, and then they're telling me all these wonderful secrets about how business works or about medical industry or the, how the ER is happening. So. It's, it's an opportunity for sure. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've had physicians come in. And, you know, they have no idea what we do. Okay. They have no idea what we do. And uh, I have a number of physicians who come to me now regularly. And it's always interesting because they become some of my best clients. They become some of my good friends. And then I start teaching. I teach. Uh, I'm a master instructor and a faculty instructor for Balanced Body. And I teach their anatomy in three dimensions class, which you've seen me do before where we actually build uh, with the skeleton, uh, the muscular system out of clay. They want to take the class because they say, I, you know what? I took anatomy. Oh man, 
it's got to be 30 years ago. And because I'm ta- we, we talk in muscle. And because they're a physician, I figure they should know this stuff. So I'm talking about, you know, the pelvic floor and I'm talking about, you know, specific musculature and everything. And I can just see the glazed look in their eyes. And I'm like, you know, don't know anything about this, do you? They say, well, you know how long ago it's been since I did anatomy? So then I'll say, why don't you come and take my class? Free. Just come in, play around. And afterwards, they'll say, oh, my gosh, did I learn so much? I wish we had this when I was in med school. And I say, my gosh. I'm teaching Pilates instructors and personal trainers things that are higher, are at a higher level than where their physicians may understand. And again, I went into my, I, I had surgery last year and I went into my surgeon and I had very specific questions on things. And I started talking to him on a level that was his level. And he, he said, hold up. He said, where'd you learn this? I said, well, I went through, you know, PubMed and I downloaded these articles and all this kind of stuff. And I was very specific on what he was going to do in the surgery and all this kind of stuff. And he said, wow, that's awesome. He said, nobody knows this stuff but us. And he said, look, I'm a fantastic surgeon and I know exactly what you're talking about. He said, but nine tenths of the doctors out there have no idea what you just said. (laughs) They all all know their specialty group. You know, they all know what they know. We know what we know. So when we are talking to physicians, I tell everybody, practice talking to them because they're going to be your best friend and one of your best referral sources ever, especially if you start doing medical exercise, because we can affect the change as good as they can or better. Let's face it. We have something we call movement medicine in Balanced Body. Uh, it's a program put out that was done by Nora St. John, and we're actually bringing it out as an advanced uh, movement principles, hopefully in the next couple of years. And it really is teaching how we can utilize movement as medicine, because the more the body moves, the better we feel. And the more we're understanding about the fascial system, the more we realize we need to move in order for our body to function properly. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg in really understanding how movement will help the medical system. And I think it's only a matter of time, hopefully in our lifetime, hopefully not too much longer, that we become part of the medical field, personal trainers. I've joked that we're not your primary care physician, but we're the secondary care physician. Because how many times have people have your clients come up to you and they ask you real specific medical questions? You're like, I'm not your doctor. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want this information. You know, I can't answer this. Talk to your doctor. But we can help them out with general things. We can help them with a little bit of diet. We can help them with exercise. We can help them stay healthier longer. And in that sense, we're helping their doctors. It's true. Um, You know, it's something that's kind of interesting that we don't think about. And and you've mentioned that a couple of times already that that you're doing these kind of orthopedic assessments, right? So let me find out. Let me just get an assessment of your your alignment. Let me see, you know, short muscles and and, and things like that. So we're looking at alignment. this is interesting. There's a correlation between um, the mortality rates for people who have hip fractures uh, when they get into an older age. And one of the reasons that that mortality rate goes up so much is because when you lose movement, then it's not because the hip hurts. It's because when you are no longer moving, 
then you are no longer getting the cardiorespiratory effects, the cardiovascular effects of movement and daily activity, not even exercise. And so we see it accelerated in older populations where lack of movement and sedentary lifestyle while trying to heal from something uh, is very challenging. And at one point, my, my dad has some heart issues and he's got a shoulder issue. And the, the doctor, the heart doctor is really concerned about his shoulder. And when he asked why, he said, look, if you're sitting down and you need help getting up and you have to use your arms to get up and it hurts your shoulder, the chances are you're just gonna sit down more. And your shoulder needs to be in a better place so you feel more comfortable getting up and moving because that's what you need for your heart. And so for us, there are things that we can do as corrective exercise specialists that can help people with medical issues. But to think that we have gone through and, and studied one thing does not grant us necessarily um, carte blanche to move directly into claiming medical professionalism uh, as an exercise specialist. That is a much deeper conversation. You have to have an understanding of the pathologies, of the medications, of their effects on the blood pressure and the heart rate and the blood sugar. And, you know, we can, can go all over the place with this, but the understanding is that there are things that we can do to help people, but if they're coming to you specifically because of one of these things and you have somebody that's around you that is much more educated in those particular pathologies than someone that has medical exercise training and education should be the ones that take that over. 100%, 100%. In the course of the medical exercise specialist, we go over uh, a multitude of pathologies and delve so deeply into each that you really need to understand all of them. And unless you understand all of it, you really can't help that person. And you're right. When it comes to certain things, we, I think because we deal with people's health all the time, it's easy for people to want to come to us and ask us all of, our, all of their health questions. But we have to remind people, please talk to your physician. Talk to your doctor. Because, yes, when it comes to your knee or your back or you know, this or that, I can help you out like nobody's business. That's what I do. That's my gig. But I'm not going to take sole responsibility of your health. That's not my job. That's your physician. And I'm going to work with your physician. And I want to talk to your physician because I can be his ally. We can work as a team. I had a great, I had a client who used a great term that one of his doctors is his quarterback. And I heard that and I said, that's brilliant. He said, oh, yeah, that's what that's what he told me. He said, you need one doctor to be your quarterback. And then he's going to refer out to the doctors that he trusts and the people that he trusts. And they'll all talk together. And that's really how the medical system should work, where everybody is in communication with each other and where we are talking. And whereas I can tell that client to go back to the doctor, the doctor can feel free to call me. And I have a number of doctors that do call me. And say, oh, for Mrs. Jones, I, you know, I spoke with her today and we're worried about this and this. Uh, I'd like you to do this, this and that. And what do you think? And they ask me my opinion, too. And I say, OK, what about this and this? And they say, oh, great. Or, you know, 
based on this medication, I'd rather them not do that. It's a communication. It's a two-way street. And that's the way it should be. We should never be afraid to talk to someone's physician because they're the ones who should have the bigger picture. And that's important for us to know, too. Love that. Thank you so much for for dropping all of this uh, kind of knowledge on us and, and your, your perspective and your experience. Uh, I want to reach out to our producer, Greg, right now and just say, I, I know that we're at Facebook Live and they've got chat going on. Are there any questions that have come up during this conversation that for Brian that maybe he could answer directly for people? Yeah. Uh, so Jessica in the chat wants to know, when as trainers should we request to speak to a client's uh, medical doctor, like you mentioned, uh, you'd spoken to one, Brian. Oh, I speak to him constantly. Uh, in my opinion, every time I do a, an assessment on someone, every single time I do an assessment, I get their primary care physician, and if they're seeing an orthopedist or a neurologist or whoever their specialty physician is, I get that person too, or a physical therapist, and I call them all. I call them immediately, and for a number of reasons. One, I want to have the biggest uh, view of the person possible so that they, so that I can see, okay, what does this doctor want me to do with this person? Or what does this physical therapist or neurologist or whoever it is? I want the biggest view possible. Secondly, it's a great opportunity for me to market myself to this doctor because the doctor will now know that I specialize in working with the clientele that's a little bit different than the average, you know, lift heavy objects up, put them back down again, trainer, which is in their mind, what we all do. Uh, so I say immediately, talk to the doctor. If you have any questions, talk to the doctor. I will say this though, doctors in general, most physicians don't have a whole lot of time to talk to you. So what I say is this, keep it short, keep it sweet, you know, ask the right questions, write them down if you have to, ask if there's any contraindications you need to know about, ask exactly, you know, pinpoint, boom, 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 boom. That way, if they need to get off the call, they can as soon as they as soon as they need to, but I can't tell you how many times I'll say, "Oh, I miss working with Mrs. Smith." Uh, I noticed with her hip, she's six weeks out of you know this or twelve weeks out of this. She's had a this done. Okay, here are the contraindications I see. Do you see any other ones? And if they say, "Oh yes, I see. This is a contraindication, and this is a contraindication." Fantastic. These are the motions I'm thinking about doing, not the exercise. Doctors don't care about exercise. They don't care if you're going to use a leg press. They don't care if you're going to do a step up or a lunge. What I'm talking about is, okay, I know that they're going to need a little bit more of the glute meat, so we're going to do a little bit more hip abduction. Uh, I'm going to start open chain, then we're going to move into closed chain. Does that work for you? When they hear us using these terms, immediately they're like, wow, this person actually knows what they're talking about. I can't tell you how many times they've said, yes, and after we finish talking about Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith, they're like, now tell me, what do you do again? Yeah, right. You, tell, tell me what, what your specialty is, and I explain more about what I do, and they're like, oh, could you send me more information? So it's, it's perfect for me. I can use it as marketing, but I'm getting more information. And the better picture I get and the bigger picture I get, the better it is for me to program that client. Uh, thank you, thank you for that. And, um, and 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 I will say, if you are going to be speaking to a physician, to people out there, be very clear about what the questions are that you're going to ask. Um, for the exact reasons Brian was talking about, you're going to need to, you're going to have a very short window of time. And I've spoken with some physicians that were very short, and uh, and 
And I'm okay with that. I get it. I know how hard it is just when I have an appointment with them for them to show up. So <laughs> to, to actually get a phone call can be difficult. So be very prepared with the questions you want to ask for those clients. Greg, do we have another question? Any other questions? So. Anna in the chat actually had a follow-up to what we were just talking about and was wondering uh, how, what do you have to do to get the doctor to disclose that kind of information? I assume that you have to have the, cli the client reach out to the doctor previously, correct? Yeah, either reach out previously. Every time someone comes in, and I should have said this, I have a release of information form. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I can give them this release of information form. It's very generic. Uh, but it'll give them, uh, to give the doctors permission to speak with us. So what I do is I have them sign it right when they come in. And I got to tell you, I'm in Washington, D.C., one of the most litigious areas in the world. And I can't tell you how many people say, well, I don't want to sign this and this and this. And I say, fine, you just have to call your doctor for me. I don't mind. Or write on it what limitations. You are allowed to talk to my orthopedist about this, this, and this. That's fine. But when they sign the release of information, I, as soon as they tell me what the doctor's name is, I'm Googling the doctor. I find out what their fax number is. I fax it to them. Sometimes even when the client's here or as soon as they leave, I fax them the information. And then I follow up immediately with a call. And I say, you should have in your fax machine the release some information form about Mrs. Smith. I'd love to talk with the doctor about her. She's coming to me for exercise or medical exercise, if that's a specific thing that she wants. And I just need to know contraindications. Would you have Dr. So-and-so please call me? And believe it or not, I'd say 90% of the time I hear back. And again, Rick, exactly. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Know exactly what you're going to say. Don't fumble over your words. Boom, 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 boom. And that way they can get off the line as soon as they, they want to. Uh, just anything else, Greg, as we start to wrap this up, if there are any other questions in our chat? No, you guys actually covered a lot of it, but uh, really, everybody seemed to really enjoy the discussion, so appreciate uh, appreciate it, guys. And don't forget, join us on Monday. Uh, Rick will be back at 9 a.m. Pacific, uh, noon Eastern, with another uh, NASM CPT podcast live. Excellent. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate it. And then... Uh, let me also give my shout outs to Brian for being here. Brian Ritchie, thank you so much for being a part of this and sharing um, your experience with us, your story, what it is that you do. Uh, there may be some people that would like to reach out to you and maybe they want to get that form or they've got some follow-up questions or maybe they want to follow you on social media. So if you don't mind, share those things with uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing, uh, how people can get in touch with you. Sure, sure. Uh Social media, I'll be honest, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm 49. I wish I was 24 and I knew all this stuff. Uh, Instagram, uh, I'm at Fit for Life DC, uh, and that's with the number four. Same with Twitter, at Fit for Life DC. Same with Facebook. Um, if you want to reach me directly, I welcome everybody to contact me. Brian, B R I A N, at Fit, F I T, the number four, life. DC as in District of Columbia.com. Easiest way to get in touch with me and I answer all questions. Uh, I've got, like you do, I've got a number of videos and whatnot out there. Uh, contact me and I can hook you up with some links and share what I can with you. Um, you can also reach me through Balanced Body. Uh, go to Pilates.com. 
I speak all over the world teaching both corrective and medical exercise as well as the anatomy in three dimensions for them. So I teach at most of the same conferences that you are, Rick. I'm still, I'm hoping Optima happens, crossing my fingers. You know, I'm missing not traveling. <laughs> I'm missing not getting in front of people and teaching. So yeah, I can't wait. And hopefully that'll still happen. Oh man, well, it's currently still slated. It's still in the books and I'm looking forward to, to seeing people. So I would love for that to happen. And I can't wait to come across your path again. And um, if we're forced to stay six feet apart, that's fine. But if not, I'd love to hug your neck next time I see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to see you again. Excellent. Thank you so much, Brian Ritchie, for being with us. My name is Rick Ritchie. Thank you so much. This is the NASMC Podcast.